Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art, where we bring you a new story about your world in every episode. Today's guest is Dr. Anil Mongla, the state epidemiologist for the jurisdiction with the most monkeypox cases per capita in the United States, Washington, D.C. As of August 3rd, 248 people have been diagnosed with monkeypox in the district, and more than 6,300 cases of the virus has spread across the United States. Dr. Mongler will talk about what D.C. is doing to combat the outbreak and what you can do to protect yourself. Thank you for following The Jesse Garcia Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit jessegarciashow.com. It's eerily familiar. Strange markings appearing on gay men's bodies and spreading throughout the community at a fast clip. For those of us who lived through the 80s, like I did, we've seen this before, and it's triggering. Stigma, lack of resources, indifference to those who were sick until the disease became mainstream. So this resurgence of monkeypox among gay men has a lot of us sounding alarm bells and being proactive by getting vaccinated. I just got mine on August 1st. I hope today's episode calms your fears. Monkeypox is not the HIV virus. It's curable and rarely causes death. Resources are out there. They're just going to take some time to reach your community. And what's available is being targeted to high-risk groups. Just days after the outbreak, the federal government established a response, while local health departments were already enlisting experts to help stop this virus in its tracks. For many health departments who were already waging a war on COVID, this new virus caught them in a well-prepared state of health protocols. Here in D.C., the local government managed to do something very beneficial to our community two years ago. The district lured an international expert in outbreaks from the state of Texas. Epidemiologist Dr. Anil Mongla has been preparing for this moment all his life. Years of research, teaching, writing papers, running health departments gave him all the skills he needed for this new emergency. Thankfully, he chose to come to the nation's capital where monkeypox cases have risen. And today, Dr. Mongla took time out of his very busy schedule to come on our podcast. I want to welcome to the show Dr. Anil Mongla, the state epidemiologist for the District of Columbia. Dr. Mongla has a solid history of success in executing technical assistance in the research of outbreaks, and he has extensive experience in both governmental and academic spaces, which includes stints in my home state of Texas before arriving in D.C. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mongla. Thank you very much. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. I want to thank you so much for giving me a little bit of your time uh, during this public health issue, because not only are you worried about monkeypox, but we're still fighting COVID. And of course, being in DC, we still have the problem of HIV being in, in rates. So to have you on my show, I feel very honored. I have requested one of your staff members to come on board and they upgraded me to the main person regarding outbreaks. So I'm so honored to have you here. Before we get into the public health issue that we're going to talk about today, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved with public health? 
Yes, so thank you for that. My background is uh, very easy. I, uh, you know, uh, got a bachelor's degree in um, uh, South Africa, and uh, during the apartheid era, I moved to the United States. Um, I got my uh, master's degree in uh, biochemistry at University of Texas, El Paso. Uh, from there, I moved forward. I was very interested in uh, infectious disease because being in South Africa, you know, we were we were just inundated with uh, malaria and HIV. If you remember when that started, yes. uh, malaria and 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 you know something that's on our radar all of a sudden is polio. You know, we grew up seeing people in pro polio, so. So my goal was, uh, how can I help? How can I be in this field? And so I, you know, studied biochemistry. I did my uh, uh, PhD in infectious disease at the Texas Tech uh, University. Uh, from there, I moved to the University of uh, Minnesota and in conjunction with the Mayo Clinic did a fellowship uh, in HIV AIDS. Uh, from that point, uh, you know, I did a uh, fellowship in toxicology, worked at one of the laboratories. And that's when I kind of realized, you know, what am I doing in a lab? What am I doing uh, helping, you know, uh, patients on a kind of one-on-one -on -one basis when, you know, public health is so broad. So I decided to continue my studies in global health epidemiology. Uh, I completed that, worked with the United Nations Association for about three years, and then um, went into uh, from international government to local government. And so I served as an epidemiologist uh, in uh, the state of Indiana. Uh, then I was a acting state epidemiologist in Georgia. Uh, I moved to San Antonio as the deputy health director for the city for about six years, uh, changed into academia, uh, studied and, and, and became professor of public health epidemiology at the University of Incarnate Word School of Medicine. Uh, and then COVID hit and it seemed like this was my pathway, uh, almost like a calling to come back calling. into government to see you know, there was just so much need of the skill I had gathered over the past 20 years and really putting that together to help uh, individuals and to serve the country. So how is it like working for the DC Health Department after spending years in Texas? How has that changed and how does it feel working in this city? Yeah, it's a significant change. And, I, and, I, and I'll be very uh, transparent with this. When I came to DC, they had, uh, you know, uh, they tried to recruit me and I, I, I was pretty happy in Texas. And I, I numerous times said no. Eventually I had talked to my family and my wife and I said, you know what, let's give it, let me give it a chance. Let me take a one year contract and uh, gives me an opportunity to uh, be in DC, to be in the Northeast and help the nation's capital. So I did that for a year. My contract was ending uh, and then uh, Omicron hit. So we continued. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I got used to it and they asked me to take over as a full-time position. And that's when I decided yes. And then my family kind of moved over because that two years almost, uh, we were apart because of this pandemic. So you signed up to battle the COVID pandemic. Yes, I did. 
And then all of a sudden, we have a new public health emergency with monkeypox. Something that, you know, when we think of monkeypox, it's something from the like the 50s or 60s, you know? It was just something that, you know, we thought was confined to the history book books, but all of a sudden it is spreading yeah. um, within uh, distinct populations, specific populations, and it hit DC hard per capita. We are one of the top states, correct? Correct. Yeah. What precautions is the health department taking? Yeah, so let me let me let me just go back so monkeypox is not something new we know about it it was discovered you know half a century ago and and in uh, many of my lectures in epidemiology i've brought that up i've talked about it so it's familiar uh it's very it's endemic in 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 some parts of africa but nowhere else in the country in the world um when the first case got to the us and and um you know, this is, this is a timeline I'm never going to forget. It was uh, May the 18th in Massachusetts. Um, we had decided at that point, uh, you know, I had brought this up to our director who had, uh, you know, talked to the mayor that we need to get ready. Let me put a team together. Let's train them. Let's have tabletop exercises like a mock exercise if a case comes. Uh, we worked with CDC very closely to get vaccines, to get some treatment. And so, you know, all these so-called tools were already in our arsenal. We had it all ready and prepared. And so when our first case came in on the 4th of June, I remember it was a Saturday. And it just, the phone just started ringing. And um, the team was very confident because we had already established a 24-hour service for the providers, right? Yeah. Nobody knew how this looked. Nobody was familiar. It was just, if you get someone with a rash, uh, you know, it may be monkeypox. So we had a 24-hour service, which we still have uh, for providers to call us, and we would guide them on the diagnosis and help them and then make sure the sample is tested tested at the laboratory. And so we were pretty prepared. So Saturday when this case came in, it was like, you know, uh, right on it. Uh, we, we got the providers set up. They were, you know, kind of concerned in panic and we really helped them step by step. Uh, the test was uh, sent to the public health lab. It came back positive. We notified uh, our, I remember it was late at night or Sunday, I, I kind of text our director who then informed the mayor and then we had a, a, a you know, public press release on that Monday. But that was our first case, right? Um, not, not, I mean, unusual, just a week after that, we started providing our first vaccines. And then at the end of that June, uh, we were providing already our first uh, doses of the treatment. So we could do that so fast and efficiently. We, I mean, we had almost like a well-oiled machine, right? And so when we talk about that, the efficiency was so good because we had everything ready here in DC. This is stuff that you trained for. This is your life's work. And you got to be at the right time, at the right place with all the tools that you needed. Right, uh, absolutely. Can you describe what the virus to our listeners, how, how it works? Right, so the virus is very interesting. Um, 
And and then before I start, I want to just kind of make it clear we we should not at all compare uh, COVID and monkeypox. And right. I bring that up because many uh, media stations and many questions I get is you know look at COVID where we are in two years and and we still continue uh, is monkeypox that way? So number one, they both are viruses. COVID is a virus that's in the family of coronavirus, which is like the flu, right? Okay. So, so it's it's like a single-stranded RNA, so it can mutate, it can change. And you must be familiar with that because many years ago, we had that H1N1, right? right. And then you have these vaccines for the flu every different year because of the strains. Monkeypox is different. It's a different genetic makeup, or I'll say to make it easy for the audience, uh, it's a different molecular makeup. It's a, it's a, a double-stranded DNA. And so because it's a double-stranded DNA, it's more stable. It has less uh, ability to mutate. So you're not going to see variant after variant after variant. Uh, and and, and that, that is kind of the main differences virus-wise. Now let's talk at transmission. Transmission, if you looked at COVID, it was airborne, right? You had to be six feet in distance. You didn't even sneeze, you catch it. Right. Yeah. And so and so the transmission mode, and so is very different. That's why you need to understand the, 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 the mode of action of viruses, right? So the mode of action of COVID was different. You could get it because it was airborne. And you know, if you stood for a cumulative of 50 second, 15 seconds close to one another, the possibility is your close contact. Very different from monkeypox. Monkeypox, we have now identified, we do not have any airborne cases. Yeah. Uh, the only cases we have has been uh, close. And when I say close is skin to skin contact. Right. So the skin to skin contact is important because that's the mode of transmission right now. The other mode of transmission is face to face, close face to face contact, like kissing, uh, you know, and, and so we bring that up because the respiratory secretions uh, have uh, a transmission ability, right? So, so some people, even without having any sexual encounter, maybe kissing one another and they could get it. And we have seen lesions on the tongue and so forth, right? So mm -hmm. it's very clear, it's not just sexual, but, but more general, it would be skin to skin contact. Skin and that's why I normally tell people, uh, you know, there is, uh, for now, if you are not, uh, you know, in uh, certain types of activities or in, uh, this can be transmitted to anybody, right? It's not a, you know, as they say, a gay or bisexual uh, man-related disease. It, it can spread to anybody, right? Uh, but we, we know where the focus is, and that's why we help in that community. But again, it's that skin-to-skin -skin contact. What kind of symptoms does one, symptoms does one get? So it starts with a, it's called the prodome symptoms. Prodome meaning before the rash. Yes. And that would be very similar to like a fever, um, you know, a little cough, muscle aches, chills. Uh, the one very familiar uh, symptom is um, lymph nodes. Yes. People would get lymph nodes. 
Now, now, now the, these are all typical, but what we've seen is some, are, some of these symptoms are very atypical to this disease. For example, people are not showing fever. They're not showing that they just start with a rash, right? So again, if someone is having a rash, they're infectious from the time that rash starts right up to the time the scab falls off and new skin develops. That takes anywhere between two to three weeks, depending on how quick they heal. So no one's died from this yet? Uh, that's a good question. So uh, locally in the U.S., we have had absolutely no death thus far. Uh, globally, there has been five deaths that has been recent over the past two or three weeks. So how do you treat the symptoms? Do you just wait it out or is there actual medicine that you can take? <clears throat> yeah, so that's, that's, that's a good question because, you know, what, what we have done uh, in, in D.C., again, being proactive, uh, is uh, we know if you a close contact with somebody, right? We have what's called a two ring, two rings or two layers of kind of vaccination. So let me start by that part of uh, our, you know, um, toolbox or tool, and then I'll go to the treatment part. So if, if, if I'm a close contact, the epidemiologists know who I am, uh interviewed me and they will tell me to go straight to the clinic to get a vaccination done as soon as possible so we've taken care of those individuals now now the now the important thing here is different from covid again right is if you are close contact you can it's you're going to quarantine but you don't have to stay at home you can quarantine as long as you are you know monitoring your fever and your rash and if that happens, you go to your provider, done, right? So, so it's not you're going to be at home for two weeks or okay. 10 days or whatever. Uh, if you are positive, we identify you as positive from the lab result. Uh, we actually then make sure that you're given the proper guidance of isolating. Uh, CDC just yesterday decreased the isolation. So the way they decreased it is if you don't have fever, or you don't have any respiratory uh, concerns or issues, uh, you don't have any um, you know, uh, respiratory um, secretions, uh, you can cover all your lesions and you can continue doing whatever you need to. But again, the important thing is that skin-to-skin -skin contact, right? And you need to wear your mask. So that's really was very beneficial to the population because this way they didn't have to stay home for two or three or four weeks, right? Um, then what, what symptoms we've seen in individuals that are positive, uh, excruciating pain because of the lesions. Now the lesions are, they call deep seated. That means they're very deep, uh, they circumvented, uh, they can grow pretty huge, 10 millimeters in circumference. And so they're very painful. They very, uh, you know, it's uh, also causes a lot of discomfort. And so we have medication and treatment that actually could help for that. Now, some of the hospitalizations we've had is not because of severe illness. We've had one regarding that, but majority was for pain management. Now we have that medication and what we've done uh, for equity and easy access 
is we have now recruited many providers in the district, right, to actually provide that to their patients. So, so you know, they don't have to just come to the Department of Health and our wellness clinic. Now we have opened this, so it's uh, easy accessible, easy available. So if someone is in excruciating pain, they can go to these providers, they can get evaluated and they can get this uh, medication. I do also, while we talk in a therapy and medication, we have unlimited supply. And so I just want to make that clear that, you know, it is available and we want to make sure that it's available to our population in DC. The medicine to treat smallpox? Yes, yes. We have unlimited supply. Yes. It's the vaccine that it's, yeah. Now, the vaccine is in short supply, but, you know, uh, we're using our data very constructively and any policy or any measures we take in is data driven. So even if these vaccines are short, we're trying to think of uh, out of the box, uh, you know, methods and ways to make, make it clear that we have a really good distribution of this vaccine. And, and so I'll give you a good example. Uh, you know, what we're doing to kind of mitigate this. So like I was telling you, when we have these close contacts that were identified, uh, we get them vaccinated. But then you also have close contacts that are high risk that we could not identify. They may have gone to a location, a party, an event. Uh, what do you do with them? They're still high risk. Um, they still could get infected they could still transmit the disease to others or spread it. So what we did is uh, uh, one of our departments started looking at, okay, here's you know, vaccine that we have. Uh, let's not wait for second doses. Let's start providing uh, the residents who really are that high risk, uh, you know, uh, contacts the vaccines and at least get the vaccinations into their arms so they can start building this immunity. So now we have three vaccine clinics and you register for that and you, you know, go for your uh, vaccine uh, administration. So we have now uh, administered, this was close of business yesterday, uh, almost uh, 9,500 doses, right? And I was one of them. I got my dose yesterday and it was run very professional. I went to the Georgia Avenue location. Yeah. And it was just amazing to see all these men of all different ages and races, mainly men. There was right. trans individuals um, here and there, but it was mainly yeah. gay men that were really taking yeah. care of business, trying <laughs> to be proactive about this. Yeah. Yeah. They understand they're in a high-risk group just because yeah. the way this was introduced into the public. We yeah. know it's not a gay disease. Right. We're in a very high-risk group. Right. And it was just, it. I saw older, younger people yeah. in that yeah. line. And I'm a child of the 80s. So I remember when HIV broke yeah. out yeah. and how people had took a wait and see how this turns out. And I'm glad that there's finally a, a people moving quickly on this. Yeah. yeah. We shouldn't have to wait to right. get vaccines and, and, and care and treatment. Right. And it just, it, I just felt really happy to see all these people that were taking um, control of the situation and taking care of their health. Yeah, and I, that's the important thing, right? I mean, we want to make sure that people are safe, uh, people are vaccinated, and so they pull the immunity. And I would rather 
have individuals get vaccinated rather than storing that in a fridge or on a shelf, right? So, so get them out as soon as we get it from CDC. We're really pushing that out. And that really helps because it's building that, that immunity within these cohorts, right? Correct. And, and then we can expand and expand. But, but the good sign is by doing that, we're going to start seeing uh, less people getting infected because they got some immunity. And if they got some immunity, there's going to be less spread. And some of our data, you know, uh, is already plateauing. It's too early to say, uh, but from data, things are starting to look positive. And again, you know, it's, it's too early to say, and that's why we're really pushing for people to start just, you know, if you are high risk um, and if you fall in this criteria that we have provided, get vaccinated. I remember when I just, uh, when I posted that I got the shot, <laughs> people were asking me, how long did it take? Did it hurt? <clears throat> were there any side effects? And none for me. I just sat down for 15 minutes as recommended yeah. after the shot just to see if I needed any assistance. But no, I was able to take the shot and walk away and get my bus to get back home. Yeah. So um, if you're listening to this podcast and you are and you feel like you need to get, um, you're part of one of the groups that might be high risk, sign up, sign up today. I just want to say thank you so much, Dr. Monglo, for being in this position and being proactive. You were the person that we needed at the moment to be there for this disease and thanks to your hard work um, those numbers are starting to plateau and i want to thank you so much for your work in public health thank you very much it's a pleasure being on your show thank you for more information about the monkeypox virus and vaccine please visit cdc.gov washington dc residents can sign up for our vaccine at preventmonkeypox.dc.gov